Welcome to the Sales Career Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Hopp. Whether you're an executive, sales leader, or just getting your career in sales started, I'm here to help you read between the lines and hear the real stories that you can't get from a resume or from a LinkedIn profile, all designed to help you shape your own sales career. Let's dive right into today's episode and see what we can learn. All right, welcome back to the Sales Career Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Hopp. Today's guest is a fellow podcast host of the Sales RX Podcast. He's also the full-time director of sales development at Pavilion, one of the ways that we are connected. I'm a Pavilion member as well. We'll get into that. Um, a father of three, currently on maternity leave. He's got a little one in the house. Uh, everybody, please welcome the great and powerful Chet Lovegren. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Great and powerful might be uh, stretching a little bit. Um, and just to clarify, I did not push the baby out myself, so I'm technically on paternity leave, but it's all good in the hoods. Same oh, difference. <laughs> whoops. Paternity, maternity, either For way. all the mothers out there, we know we know what it is. Your maternity, we're paternity. It's all good. Look, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a father of one, so I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I don't really yeah. know. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out which way is up still, honestly. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, Awesome. So, so let's dig into it a little bit here. So you've had a, a career in tech sales of late, but it doesn't look like you started your career in tech. So talk to me a little bit about like what you were doing before you got into, into tech sales. Yeah. So before I was in tech sales, I was actually in my sales career, I was in commercial insurance and I worked with state farm agents in the Los Angeles area and it was all outside sales. And I loved it because wasn't really like an office person, didn't really dig that vibe. Also didn't like just like working somewhere for someone. And so when I first started at State Farm, I worked for a guy in Culver City and I sucked. Like I was, I was really bad. And so I started like trying to figure out like, okay, like what is sales exactly? Like how do you actually ask for sale? How do you pivot stuff? Like what is all the things, right? And so I started doing some research, uh, came across a guy named Grant Cardone, um, many years later now, I can say I don't testify to many of his outbound B2B sales beliefs, but in terms of the motivation and the work ethic required to be good in sales, uh, I took a lot of that to heart, um, started finding other things like Victor Antonio, who had some great you know, consumer scripts and things like that, and I started applying them. And once that kind of took hold, I did really well in the personal lines world, which is like car insurance, home insurance, selling to consumers. And I started dabbling in commercial insurance a little bit. And after I landed my first like $250,000 insurance policy commercial business sale to a pretty pretty large tech company uh, that was local to LA, I was like, okay, let's pursue the commercial lines a little bit. Uh, you can make a lot more commission there. One sale is about five months worth of work in the personal lines with the car insurance and the home insurance selling to consumers. And so I, I got my first taste of what B2B sales was like. Um, my commission plan was not favorable for this agent. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go outsource my efforts and I'm going to find four to five state farm agents in different areas of LA that I can go, Hey, if I can do business walks, so walking door to door, canvassing, offering services on your behalf, and then write the policies for you on your behalf, will you pay me XYZ commission plan on a monthly basis? 
So if I sell X amount of premium for you, these are my numbers, right? You pay me seven, eight, nine, 10%, 11% to kicker if I do these other things on top of that, right? And so I had all these commission plans and agreements in place with all these state farm agents. And you're probably asking, well, why wouldn't you just go work for one person? Why'd you work in all these different, with all these different people? Um, so I, I was involved in the entertainment industry when I first moved out to LA. And so during the days, when I knew I had to go do stuff somewhere, whether it was working on music with someone or writing some sketch comedy with someone or taking an acting class or going to a studio to record some music, I wanted to make sure that whatever part of town I was hanging out in, I had the ability to go do a business walk after that. So if I wanted to audition for a commercial and I had audition in Studio City at 10 a.m., I want to make sure that because that studio, that auditions a lot, is in Studio City and I have auditions there, I want to make sure that I'm working with an agent there so I can just go put on my suit and tie, go do some business walks, get some interested prospects, and go write some business. And I did that for about five years, and it made me a lot of really good money. It gave me a lot of flexibility, gave me a lot of freedom, and um, it, was a, it was a really, really, really unique time. Um, but it kind of taught me everything I needed about hustling. Right. I was on 1099s yeah. with all these people. I didn't have health benefits. I didn't have paid time off. It was kind of work when you wanted to. But I made more than most of my friends who were working full time while also pursuing my dreams. Like I really had the best of both worlds. And then uh, after that, met my then girlfriend, now wife and mother of three. Um, and things kind of changed. I need more stability. And that's when I decided to start trying to break into the tech world. I love that story of, uh, you know going to your pursuing your passions while checking the business box as well right? yeah of finding a way to hustle while you're trying to live the dream and that mm -hmm. is a message that i i think a lot of people that probably listen to this are like man i, I want to do something creative i want to do something that's giving back i want to do something that's intrinsically rewarding and sales is you know most of the time unless you're selling puppies and kittens pretty extrinsically rewarding, right? I yeah. think that there, there, are, there are parts of uh, every sales job that are intrinsically rewarding, or at least there should be parts, I would argue, right? If you have a sales manager that's saying things like, I don't care if it's right for the prospect, I need you to hit your quota, or I don't care about what they say, if they say they don't need it, make sure they sign the contract. You know, that's that's a different story. I think yeah. um, at its at its core, uh, sales should be helping people, right? It should be, you know, solving a business challenge or a problem with a valuable solution. Mm -hmm. Is it always like that? I don't know. You know, um, it, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But um, it, it's really, really cool that you found a way to do both, which is which is work on your passion and then hustle on the side as you do it. So you mentioned you mentioned a very polarizing figure there that I want to talk about for a second. So so Grant Cardone. Mm -hmm. um, his uh, he's very very polarizing, polarizing in that he's very in your face. So when you say that you listen to Grant Cardone, where you're not leaning into like his tactics and strategy, you just liked his hustle mentality. Talk to me a little bit about like what you liked about Grant Cardone. Well, first and foremost, I would say when you don't know anything, and you find someone that is that polarizing, you do try to mimic a lot of their behavior. And so there were a lot of things early on in the consumer side that I tried to leverage. There are some things even to this day 
that I think are pretty smart that I don't know where he got them from. It could be from Sandler. It could be something he just picked up along the way. Um, but his, his, uh, sales director or head of sales, I don't know, Dave Robards, one of the guys that works for him, big Dave. Um, he does this role play on stage and he, he talks about, um, you know, I don't, I don't really have competitors. I have people I call competitors cause they kind of do the same thing, but let me get some quotes from them and put them in front of you as well. So you can kind of get a good idea. That feels like something you would almost do in challenger sales, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, who knows where that came from? Stuff like that I'm good with or even objections like, oh, well, I'm not really interested. Hey, no worries. I have a drawer full of clients that weren't interested once upon a time. I mean, you can find these anywhere. So some of those things yeah. I did pick up through him. Some of his innovation tactics, things that he came up with his own, those are the ones where I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to make a rap video and send it to my clients, right? Uh, which is a literal thing in his training course. Where he says, hey, if somebody's ghosting you, make them a rap video. And then he shows a sample rap video, and it was the cringiest thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Short of hearing my uh, 10-year-old try to say, that's bussin, right? Which is probably as cringy as that just came out of my mouth saying that right now. Um, <laughs> that's bussin. But, it, yeah, oh, it's, it's, I think it was the, it was the, you know, I was at a point in my life where I was like, you know, I had been pursuing a passion for a while. And that's why I was in the restaurant industry. And you kind of have a cap on what you can do in the restaurant industry. No, no, you know, no shade to people who devote their life to hospitality and restaurants. My brother's forty; he's still working a restaurant. He loves it; it's his favorite thing to do. Um, but it's just there's a cap to what you can achieve. And I think I was like de- destined for more, and I wanted more. And so when I kind of realized, like, hey, I got to get out of the restaurant game, but I got to still pay my bills. I was in the restaurant game because it allowed me to follow these passions that I had at the time. What do I do? His mentality of, you know, 10x your efforts, 10x this, nightly journaling, productivity. Like, these weren't things I had access to anywhere before. Yeah. I had the 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 um, the entertainment and music industry mentality of like, oh, Jim Carrey wrote himself a million-dollar check and manifestation, and that came true five years later or whatever that is. Like, yeah. all that gobbledygook that everybody tries to talk about to make themselves feel special. Like, I can do it too, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But he his actual planning on like, hey – this is how to do X, Y, and Z, and this is why this works because it's positive reinforcement. It's game planning. It's setting up for your day. Hey, if Peyton Manning spends 50 hours a week preparing for something he does, you know, 10 minutes a week, 17 times a year at most, why can't you spend 30 minutes a day on something you want to do 8 to 10 hours a day for your entire life? Like those kinds of things about preparation, planning, positive reinforcement, and then just work ethic. Like, you know, sometimes I, when I was doing like acting stuff and doing commercials, I would have four to five auditions in a day. Those are exhausting, man. You go from eight to one in the afternoon and then you're like, dude, I just want to go get something to eat. I want to go home, chill out, zone out. Like that was an exhausting day of auditions. Auditioning is rough. It's, it's, it's all just judgment in a silent room of people, you know, are way more important than you that you're like, please let me have this opportunity. But instead, having that mindset of like, I still got to make my nut and make that make those ends meet. So it's one thirty. I'm going to go do five hours worth of business walks. Six thirty. No worries. I got friends that are working in the restaurant industry that just got off their their happy hour, you know, lunch to happy hour shift. Maybe they want to go grab a drink. Now I'm socializing with people. I'm out till ten o'clock at night. I achieved this dream. I achieved the the money side of life, and I also got to socialize as opposed to just going, oh, let's chalk it up to a day. I did just enough today. Taking it as far as you can, doing that 150%, trying yeah. to 10x all your results. I think that mindset was something that I was very attracted to and took uh, – it kind of gravitated towards and ended up making making possible. I love it. I love it. Um, 
Grant Cardone uh, faced off with Jordan Belfort. Uh, yeah. When was that? Like, like two, three years ago. They did a YouTube video and they went back and forth. Like, Jordan Belfort's office is in Manhattan Beach, and Grant Cardone came into town and they they were sitting there. And I will never forget what Grant Cardone said. He said, uh, "I got fish." Well, I got fish. I got fish. Remember? Yeah. I got fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he also said, like, like what, what was the line? He said, not interested is a level of it's interest. Still a level of interest, yeah. Not interested <laughs> is a level of interest. And I sat there listening to that, and I was like, uh, what? Like, trying to, like, process it in my brain. And I, I think um, what Grant Cardone does really well is he, he talks about these principles that could have been eloquently explained, but he just does it in a brute force way. And if you take mm-hmm. it in, you think about it a little bit more. Like the idea of 10x. I want to 10x my income this year. What are the real odds that I do that? If I 10x my income this year, I'm going to also negative 10x my engagement with my family. And my ability to enjoy my friends and my ability Mm -hmm. to do all those other things. But it's the concept of you shoot for the moon, you land among the stars. Either way, you're getting off of this planet. You're headed out towards where you want to go. Really, really important concepts. And I think uh, for me, like where where Grant Cardone kind of changed things for you, I think Gary Vee was that guy for me. Um, hmm. I started following him probably five-ish years ago, like right when I got into consulting and, and like the idea of like working for myself and like, you know, I don't have to have a W-2 from a company. And that was the first time I had done it like four or five years ago. And uh, Gary Vee was all about like mindset and hustle and gratitude and things that I just wasn't thinking about at the time. So I, I think it's really interesting the, the, the role that some of these gurus play in a macro way in uh in the business world right I, mm-hmm. i've worked with people in the past that are really really into um uh uh what's his name the the guy who does i'm not your guru uh mm. never heard of it geez i can't remember his name but there, there there are all sorts of uh you know big talking influencer guys out there and i think it's important that people follow these folks not to follow what they say word for word one of, one of grant cardone's lines by the way he made he made wristbands that say stop being a little bitch mm-hmm. and you know it's it's a brand like if, if that's the way that you respond to to motivation cool uh not for everybody so yeah. tidbits tidbits for sure well and the the reality is everybody gets everything from someone you know um especially especially working at pavilion anytime i go through a training course or we do a course like i'm always interested like what is your training rooted in you know what i mean I have a lot I, – I, every time I do training with SDRs, they're like, I never thought about this before. I never thought about that before. Or even like one of my SDRs one day we were role playing, they're like, oh, my God, how do you get there? And I said, yeah, I've been doing this for 10 years. That's how you get there. Like it's repetition. You're in year two. I'm in year – like I'm going on year 10 here. Yeah. And maybe 10% of what I do is from here. The other parts of it is gap selling, challenger sales, and some sampler. Right. Those are those yep. are like my three main keys. And I take some of this that Keenan says. I don't agree with some of this that Keenan says. I, I love some of this that Matt Dixon says. I don't agree with some of that. I love some of this Trent Sandler stuff. I don't really agree with that. And I kind of mix it all together to come up with what works for me. And that's why I'm such a big advocate of people like really like, you know, throw as many darts against the board as possible. And when you hit the bullseye, remember what that form looked like. You know, maybe you took a little bit of this form. Maybe you took a little bit of that form. Maybe like there's all these different things that come together, like like a baseball swing. There's really no perfect swing. Everybody does things differently. Aaron Judge drops the bat down. It's almost like he's just twisting his wrist like this. Other people will drop their hips and open up. Like there's 
Tony Gwynn swings differently than Pete Rose, right? Both still great hitters, though, because they each do a little bit of what works for them. Same like pitchers, right? Baseball pitchers. Nobody's windup is the same. Nobody's rotation is the same. And yep. so we got to remember the same thing, especially in this LinkedIn thought leader, sales guru, best practice world that you just got to take a little bit of everything from everyone and then do what works best and create your own process based on all these other things. But most of the time, like a lot of Grant stuff is Tony Robbins, just in yeah. more in your face, right? It's Tony yeah. Robbins, Same idea. not polished. It's stop being a little bitch. Just like you said, Tony Robbins wouldn't really like go out there and call yeah. people little bitches. Grant Cardone does because that's him. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. And that's who I was trying to think of earlier. Tony Robbins. I used oh, to work Tony for Robbins. a guy who was all into Tony Robbins. And he, mm. you know, this guy would go to a conference and come back and be like, guys, I figured it out. And like, you know, roll out all these business <laughs> principles about Tony Robbins stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. It's just one one guy, one one way of looking at it. Um, yep. so, so I'm interested in something here. So you, you go from this background of, of hospitality, of acting in, in the creative world, then you get into B2B and it looks like you've found a little bit of a niche here in outbound in like BDR, SDR, inside sales, whatever we want to call it. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you're not like chief closer guy on LinkedIn from what I see. You're kind of the outbound BDR guy. Talk to me about like, what, is that a personality trait that, You've kind of leaned towards that, or what? What do you like about the the BDR SDR world? Well, I th I think the first thing that kind of got me there was that I mean, I'm, you know, as humble as possible, I'm good at it. Um, yeah. When I when I wanted to go from when I was like, hey, I really want to break into tech sales. Every job I interviewed for was SDR, or if it was an AE, it was like working at Toast or Touch Bistro or something. And the pay yep. was crap, and the hours were crap, and it was like, ah, I don't really want to sell the restaurants, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just couldn't break in. And so I, I you know, I talked to my then-fiancé at the time, like, man, I just, it's crazy that I have this many years of sales experience, but don't people only interview me for an SDR job. Like, I've already done that. I've been a closer. I've been, I self-sourced all my own deals. I managed them. I brought them all the way through the sales funnel. I closed them. I even did account management after that because we didn't have account service, right? That was part yep. of it is how you can get renewals and all that stuff. So it's like I was this SDR, BDR, AE, and CSM all in one. It's BS that nobody will let me just interview for an AE job. Everybody wanted to interview me for an SDR. So I said, fuck that. I'm not going to be an SDR. I'm going to hold out until I get an AE job. So um, basically, I connected uh, through, I saw a LinkedIn job post at a place that interests me, 3PL Central, messaged uh, the VP of Sales, now CRO, Dan Salazar. Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, I'm interested in this job. And he interviewed me, and he was like, what do you know about us? And I was like, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been interviewing for a bunch of SDR jobs because people think you need this tech background to be an AE, even though I'm a full cycle rep where I'm at now, and I do pretty damn good. I don't know anything about your company because I'm sick of looking at companies and getting through the initial interview and then being like, oh, you'd be a great SDR because that's not what I want. Yeah. And he's like, fair enough. And then we had a 45-minute conversation about sales and sales books. At the end of the call, he said, here's the deal, man. It's Friday, 6 o'clock. I got to go be with my family. Do a little research on the company. If this is something that interests you, text me on Monday and I'll bring you in for an interview. Told him on Monday, looks great. Got it. Let's talk. Went in. Had the interview couple talked to a solutions engineer talked to their senior ae talked to dan in person was hired within the week and it was an awesome it was an awesome place to start in that tech world so to speak um when i was there i sourced 18 opportunities on my own my first month january 2020 i set a record for most sourced stops by an ae 
in company history. Um, I continued to source my own ops. Uh, the SDRs there were at the time one of the, you know, it was kind of like the, hey, the SDRs have their favorite AEs and I was kind of getting the short end of the stick. So I just, right, right. I stayed, I stayed generating my own ops. Um, it was always a, a source of pride for me is that Dan would go, hey, look at all these ops that Chet sourced. Mm-hmm. And so they lost their SDR manager in October of 2020. And, you know, I was in a one-on-one with Dan and he says, Hey man, just so you know, you know, Ben's leaving. I think you should apply for this job. And I said, okay, I did went through an interview process, talked to the CEO, director of marketing at the time, the CMO, and I got the job and we crushed it. We, we did really well. I hired five reps, Four of them are all AEs now, which is crazy. Like, you know, less than a year, they all became AEs. Um, But we crushed it. We did great um, to the point where it started building my acumen quite a bit. And then my current boss, LG, Laura Guerra, uh, found me through LinkedIn. was like, hey, we got some mutual connections, Dan and Kevin Dorsey. And, you know, we're, we're trying to build a sales development program here. And I'm curious if that's something that you're interested in. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so, you know, now, now here I am, but. It's mm-hmm. it's really like I loved I loved the AE side of closing deals. I'll always love that. I think there's always an opportunity there um, to to go back into that if I want. But on the BDR side, I th- I think it's just kind of like it's the chase. The hardest thing to do on the BDR and SDR side is to get someone saying no to say yes, but not even yeah. say yes because you were just really good at handling objections, but to get them to understand the point of why you're actually calling to actually get them to see the value. Especially when you look at something like Pavilion, we're not doing a lot of rip and replace. Our solution yeah. is a nice to have in a lot of companies where it's really actually a need to have. Like this is one like having a professional development plan, trainings and certifications in place is something that a lot of companies go, oh, that'd be great. But we do our training in house. Well, yeah, and your training program shit, and that's why half your AEs quit and go take jobs for only five thousand fucking dollars more a year because you don't have anything that dedicates. Right resources to them you know bill campbell and the trillion dollar coach said one of the most important things about leading a team is the respect that people have career choices and you'll work effortlessly to find a place for them in the business as long it aligns with the business needs and then a senior ae job opens up and what do you do to your top ae you don't promote them you go hire someone who had senior ae experience doesn't know jack shit about the industry and now you're like well, this guy's not performing, and our top AE that works in the SMB side just quit because he got $5,000 more to go work some other place and yeah. start from scratch again. But if you have something like that place, so see, it's a, it's, a, it's a great win for us because anytime we get people to see the value of that, we can tell that story. We help them see what six months down the road looks like. Hey, you just hired 15 SDRs. Congrats on the growth. Do you know what 15 SDRs six months down the road looks like after onboarding? How do you support them after that? What kind of training programs are in place outside of your company specific trainings? So the ability to deliver those value props and especially at a more junior or entry level sales role to have people learn how to do that and be successful at that. Like that's so cool to me, you know? Yeah, I can take a 30 year old AE and teach them how to self-source. They probably done it before, right? They just need to know how to do it within the company that they're at. But to take a 25 year old who worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car and is in their first tech job to a promotion and a salary bump and all these other things like those are the kinds of things that make me feel fulfilled at the end of the day someone who didn't know anything about sales that is now you know in this position where pretty soon their life is going to change both from an opportunity and a financial standpoint because they've done so well in their current job you know what i'm saying oh totally totally so you 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 hit on something that's like you know if i could uh if i could if i could 
take it out of this conversation and put it out for the world to see. Like the diamond there is pay attention to what you're good at, right? Mm -hmm. So you were working a full cycle gig and you were good at opening ops and you wanted the opportunity to become an account executive. You didn't want to have to do the the, the kind of grind of an SDR job, right? So you went and took an AE job where you crushed it at opening doing SDR work, which is just sales work at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And then an awesome opportunity was right in front of you. And that's not because you ran away from what you were good at. You leaned into it and you yeah. you, you continued to, to search for the opportunity to go do what you were good at, but also kind of get that, that title bump. And uh, I think a lot of people listening are, are having a little bit of that dilemma where they're like, well, I'm, I'm good as an SDR, but I, my OTE is 80 or 90 or 70. Mm-hmm. I, I want to make more money. Well, how do I do that? Can I make more money as an SDR? Right? Yeah. And, and in, my, in my own career, I've had that exact moment probably five or six years ago where I said, well, shoot, like being an account executive everywhere I went, I was an account executive at three different places after I was an AE. I had the same exact problem everywhere I went. Congratulations, Kevin. You're the new kid. Mm-hmm. You don't have a book of business. You don't have a black book to call. Now go find pipeline. And so I kept having to like go back to the drawing board and be like, oh, dude, what do I do? Okay. All right. What do I know how to do? Right? Cold emails. I know how to make cold calls. I should build my list. And I found myself doing the exact same thing over and over, having to build raw pipe without any relationships, without any inbound mm-hmm. leads over and over. And I got obsessed with that process. And, you know, I'm just here to say that, you know, everyone listening, like lean into what you're good at. If you really like that, if the thrill of the chase is, is really fun for you, you can make an awesome, awesome career out of that. Um, yeah. And it, it, what I'm going to say is going to make every person in sales who thinks they know something like roll their eyes. But and it might even be controversial, but I am a firm believer there is no there is no difference between being an SDR BDR and being an account executive. If you're a good SDR BDR, because it's still sales, you're still convincing right. someone of something. You're still showing someone the value. You're still value propositioning. You're still setting expectations for follow up. You're just doing things in a different way. It's like it's like is there a difference? You know, at its core, between running a hundred meter dash and running a forty yard dash, yeah, there's there's a longer right. It's a little bit different. Yeah. At the end of it's the day, running. conditioning and speed, conditioning and speed. Yep, yeah. it's still running. Conditioning and still speed. Still running. You know, um, and probably the person who's better at the forty yard dash will probably get out of the gate a little bit quicker and get a head start on the hundred meter. Right. So That's right. for me, it's it's really frustrating when people think about that. Like, yeah, my OTE is eighty five. I want to go up from there. How do I do that? Okay. You have to work with your manager to help them understand the value that you bring if you're good. Now, if you're shit and you suck, then that's life and you're going to be an SDR forever, right? But you have to bring your manager go, I did X, Y, and Z. This is what I did. Here's all my projects. Here's my milestones. This is everything I've contributed. I need a pay bump, right, on my salary. Or, hey, I want a micro promotion to like team lead or senior SDR. Or, hey, I want to take on bigger accounts. Can I move into the enterprise space if your company is like that and they can have that structure um, and take sure. those micro promotions and get those little pay bumps until you are ready or you feel you're ready or you've put in your 18 months or 24 months to be an AE. Cause once you're an AE, this guy's really the limit. But even as an SDR, yes, you can always make more money as an SDR. Go for the mm-hmm. micro promotions, go for the things that you deserve. The problem is too many people really suck at their job and they're like, well, I can't make enough as an, as an SDR. 
doesn't matter. You're hitting 60% of your quota. You wouldn't make enough as an AE anyway. <laughs> in fact, you'd probably be fired faster because AEs have to perform quicker. Um, yep. But there's there's always that opportunity for someone as long as they're managing it and holding their managers accountable to it. And then if they're not, right, then screw them and go somewhere else, right? That's, that's my it's take a- on it. Go figure it out somewhere else. It's a candidate market. You're fine. It's not 1999 exactly. anymore. And that's that's another thing that uh, I like about your resume. You've got a little bit more Kevin Hopp resume, a little less uh, corporate resume. You, you, you've had a few jobs. It's not like mm-hmm. you went uh, one place for five years in a row. But um, yeah, one of the things that that I think is is really interesting that, that SDRs bring up from time to time is, well, if I'm not good as an SDR, all I got to do is get enough to become an AE, and then it's, well, I'm an AE. But the dirty secret of being a good account executive is that the best account executives have like 60% of what they do as, as an SDR, right? Like I, I have a consulting mm-hmm. client right now and I, I went to their, their team all hands kick off the year, the virtual team all hands thing. And, and the top account executive closed the most business, 180% to quota. He was mm-hmm. the top opener. He created the, the most amount of opportunities out of everybody else. Yeah. And, and you know some of the some of the AEs might be like, well, you know, he had that one, one or two big deals, but yeah, but he also had the big deals, and he opened tremendous amount of opportunities compared to the rest of you guys who wait mm-hmm. for the BDR team, who I work with day in day out, to produce meetings, and then of course the feedback comes back that the meetings aren't good enough, they're not qualified, every you know. Um, so being a good SDR is the best way to become a good AE, and if you think that. Once you become an AE, that you're done being an SDR. I got news you're for wrong. you. I got bad news for yeah. you. <laughs> it's not the '90s anymore. And I said that to someone. I said I was uh, doing a podcast prep with someone, and I said, you know, I, I get people that don't embrace the SDR journey; they despise it. And it's like, look, you're getting to yeah. do 100% of your time. You're getting to do what you need to do really well 25% of the time as an AE. And then she well, well, you can't say that, Chet, because there I have AEs that don't source any deals. Yeah, they're in their 40s. They've been doing this for 20 years. Any person yeah. that's under 30 that's going to go from SDR to AE, I can guarantee you half their job is going to be self-generation. Uh, Joey Alvandi works for Pavilion. He's an AE. He was one of my BDRs at 3PL Central. He only worked there for eight months, man, but he was the best freaking BDR we had. He was the best sales dev rep that we had. He had most hit, he hit this quota more than anybody else. He had the highest percent of attainment, 112%, quarter over quarter. The guy was a rock star. Went to cybersecurity, started killing it. Of course he was going to kill it. He probably should have been an AE when he started. He just got that mm-hmm. chance to develop a little bit, at least get that cold calling experience more locked in, more tight. It's the people that aren't very good at it that need the year and two years to get better at it. But dude, if you're already good at it and you're just following the process, you're going to be an AE within 12 months. If you're not, that's okay. You take a little bit more of that time, get those micro promotions, keep developing, keep enhancing, and get to that point where you are good at delivering clear value props, setting expectations for follow-up moving forward, managing your your habit plan and your daily activity, managing a pipeline of opportunity, which you still do as an SDR, which people don't talk about. Yeah. It's not just, right. doesn't have to have a dollar amount to be an opportunity. Um, managing all those things and just take that time to get better at it, right? But some people are already figure that out within six months and they should be an AE as fast as possible. There's no point unless you're a cheap ass and you're trying to pay somebody 55, 60 K a year to stay as a BDR and just open up ops that you wouldn't professionally develop them and further their AE abilities that they already have inside of them. Um, 
But I, I digress. I'm just really passionate about the topic because there's this whole thing about like SDRs to AEs and is, should a 25 year old really be an AE? Hell yeah, they should be an AE. If they're kicking ass as a BDR, move them over, man. Like that's, that's, that's what you do. It's a, a sale is a sale. It's just a different type of sale, you know? That's right. That's right. I've, I've lived that, you know, I got, I got promoted uh, as a top promoted, uh, top producing sales development rep. I got promoted to AE and then uh, I got bucked off the, the venture backed Bronco a few times there along my journey. Um, awesome. Well, Chet, we could talk about this all day and maybe, maybe we should at some point. We, <laughs> I think it'd be a really interesting conversation to see if we can get some other players in the LinkedIn game involved in this discussion around RSDRs and AEs really different? Is it a completely different job? Or are there a lot of corollaries that you seem to point out that, huh, it seems like it's very much the same thing. And if you're a really good SDR, you're probably going to be a really good AE. So let, let's do that one day. But I do want to wrap up here. I want to be sensitive about our time. Uh, I've got three questions that I ask every person, um, trying to keep these the same so people know what to tune in for here. So the first, first question here in our wrap up, Chet, what's the largest commission check you've ever received? About $6,200. One sale. 6200 bucks. I like The commercial that. insurance like that. sale that set, that set it all off for me <laughs> back in 2015. 6200 bucks. Dude, that's, that's a nice little day as a commission check. That was oh, one yeah. month? That was one sale. One sale. Yeah, wow, that yeah, was the what, when I was in commercial thing. insurance and I closed a B two B deal. That kind of like the policy premium was a quarter of a million dollars. I was like, "Yeah, this is great." You know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. That was yeah, that was a pretty nice payday. Um, haven't really ever seen one since at that level working for a company. But um, sure, if I went back in these enterprise sales nowadays, and what people are making that I see in their paychecks, I'm like, "Yeah, I could probably I could probably get something close to that." But yeah, it was a nice little that was a nice little nifty check. And it made you reconsider kind of your career path, right? When you got oh, yeah. it, because you were you weren't really working in the commercial lines as much. And when you saw Not that number, you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah, because right? I, I was I, like, "That's six I, months of personal lines. <laughs> That's six months of car yeah. insurance for people that are selling in car insurance and home insurance." Right, and that like the insurance game. I got to get an insurance guy on this pod because I know it's such a grind. Especially if you mm-hmm. sell personal insurance, you make small amounts of money pretty quickly, but you got to do a lot of it, right? You got to yeah. do a lot of it over time. What a hustle! What a hustle! Cool. So, in your in your whole career, you know, back to you know your very first working days, 15, 16 years old. So far, what's been your favorite job? I think I like delivering newspapers when I was a kid. That really? was pretty fun. Yeah, I stayed in shape. I was on my bike all day long, delivered 150 newspapers every day, 300 if it was a Sunday. Um, yeah, that was a pretty good job. It was pretty cool, too, because I was pretty pretty tired, and I could go. it always meant I could go play my Xbox or whatever afterwards. Or I don't even know if I had Xbox back then. I think that was a little a little farther down the line. It was probably, we're probably thinking N64 or something. Um, but, yeah, probably delivering newspapers. That was a blast. I just remember that being so awesome as a kid, and I was, like, the only one in my friend group that had a job. Like, I felt really cool for that. I love it. I love it. Yeah, delivering newspapers is one of the oldest hustles there is for kids, right? Like, yeah. Did you have like the side bag where you were throwing them as you were going? I had the whole thing, man. I had the freaking, I had the 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 little thing that you would put like a two year old in the back to ride along your bike. I had one of those. I would fill it with papers when Sunday came around. I had 
two different bags, one on the front. I had the front and back bag. Then I had another front and back bag, but I put it on sideways. So I had like four quarters of newspapers. I had a basket Whoa. on the back. It was 150 papers. I had like five routes. Um, I didn't want to like go back home a bunch because when I first started, I didn't do that. And I was going back home like I would do this route. Then I'd go back home. I do that route. And then my dad's like, why don't you just get more bags? I'm like, but then I'd be so heavy. He's like, yeah, but then you don't have to keep riding back. Right. I was like, oh, this is brilliant. Shaved like 45 minutes. Yeah, I was a little heavier, but it's probably what prepared me to play football. It's because I and was it just gets, biking it gets lighter with 150 as you papers. Yeah, exactly. It's a little easier. This gets easier. Uh, awesome. Awesome. I love that. So uh, last question for you. Let's say money didn't matter. And you live in Los Angeles, not far from where I grew up. So you know money does matter. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. let's say money didn't matter. Uh, you did need to work. What would you do with your time? Mm. I'd probably just write a lot more. I, I love writing. writing. Writing is like the heart of what I enjoy doing the most. It's probably the reason I like doing podcasts and copywriting, sales sequences, all that, because at the core of it, it's writing. It's written communication, um, and I'm a huge fan of it. So I, I love writing. I read a lot, watch a lot of TV, watch a lot of movies, love the entertainment industry, whether it's a book, movie, TV show, Comedy sketch doesn't matter. Just a memoir. Who cares? I just love writing. I would uh, would live in a I would live with a mountain view, like in Tahoe or something. Just sit there with coffee when it's really cold or hot chocolate, and just write. Just writing all day long. That would that would probably be that would be the the best way I think to spend my time. Wow, I love that. I love that. I can I can picture that too. You took me there. Like it's cold. I got a mountain view. I got a nice big warm cup of coffee. I could see the steam coming off of it. And you're just, Mm -hmm. you're you're on a laptop, just like clicking away. Yeah. Or if you wanted to be a real hipster about it, you could get a typewriter, but I don't think, uh, I don't think I'm there yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude, I would not know what to do with a typewriter. I tell you that, that would be a little complicated. Well, Chet, thank you so much for giving me your time today. This is your chance to, to plug whatever you want. How can people connect with you? How can they find you? Yeah. The best way, uh, if you're in the professional world is probably on LinkedIn. You can add me there. Um, just search Chet Lovegren. It's, uh, my headline is I help support, assist, and educate individuals to achieve their professional goals. Dot, dot, dot. I also ramble into a microphone about sales, which is my take on, uh, on my podcast. But, uh, you could also, uh, look at TikTok. I have some sales humor and some sales advice and insights on there. And if you if you're on TikTok and that's your thing, you can find me at the sales doctor, and uh, I also have like a, a link tree with all my other links, like Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and my website, all that stuff. So uh, LinkedIn or TikTok, two, probably the two best ways to connect. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, Chet, thank you so much for your time, man. Let's stay in touch. And until uh, next time, adios. All right. Thanks, Kevin. If this episode is interesting to you, please share your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter. Tag me and I might just feature your post in an upcoming episode of the Sales Career Podcast. Or if you want to connect directly, go to hopconsultinggroup.com and we'll find a way to work together. Cheers.